Exodus says this in chapter 30. The Lord said to Moses, Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. Okay, I read that after reading or hearing Chris read that particular passage of what happened to David. Was the census a sin? In and of itself, perhaps not. The purpose of the census was a sin. And I'm, I'm going to give away the whole teaching, then we can go to pizza early. And we can say, we showed up, we thought it was noon, because we forgot to change our clocks. <clears throat> That's funny right there said, each person is counted must pay a ransom for himself. You want a census. You want to find out what your numbers are so you can trust in your numbers. It'll cost you. Or you can trust me to take care of you, not know your numbers, and it won't cost you. Did you hear what I just said? You can take a census, but if you take a census, every person that's counted is going to be redeemed. They're going to be bought back. They're going to pay for being counted. So you can know the number. Or you can trust me that I know the number. And if I say you have enough to go into battle, you have enough. <clears throat> Each person who is counted, this is in Exodus 30, uh, must give a small piece of silver as a sacred offering to the Lord. The payment is half a shekel based on the sanctuary sexual, which equals 20 jeros. All who have reached the 20th birthday must give this sacred offering to the Lord. When this offering is given to the Lord to purify your lives, making you right with him, the rich must not give more than a specified amount, and the poor must not give less. Receive this ransom money from the Israelites and use it for the care of the tabernacle. It will bring the Israelites to the Lord's attention, and it will purify your lives. Okay, <clears throat> I'm past all the verses, so I'm down at point one, if you're wondering in media where I'm at. The census, let me give you a little bit of the background. David is nearing the end of his life. Uh, he's nearing the end of his reign. He has been extremely successful. If you look at historically what happened, he is setting up, his country and his nation, which was a small nation, to, under the rule of his son, become, hear me, the most powerful, prominent nation on earth. And under Solomon's early reign, it was. Early in David's life, his trust had always been in God alone. But now he's older, he's rich, He's successful, he's powerful, and he's also arrogant. You see, here's why this census was a sin. The king of Israel was God's king. God had appointed him. He hadn't been elected. He hadn't won a battle. He hadn't killed the previous king. He had been placed in place because God had chosen him. And as a result, the king of Israel's trust and loyalty was to be in God alone. 
What does the census represent? It reveals a break from a faith-filled focus on God. It shows that we're no longer trusting God. We're no longer living by faith. We are focused on our numbers. David is no longer humble. He doesn't have this faith-filled focus on God against the odds. As he had, remember, this is the guy that took on Goliath. Where were the odds when he took on Goliath? What were the odds? Extremely low. What was the purpose of the census? David's purpose was to glory in his power and in his wealth. I want to know. I took over this little nation. We've got 1.1 million in the northern kingdom. We have 400 plus thousand in the southern. We have a 1.5 million person army. I've done pretty good for a shepherd boy. Well, you know what? He'd have done pretty good if he hadn't counted. He wanted to know how powerful he'd become. Here's the irony. The count reveals God's blessing. Think about it. Here's the irony. It reveals God's blessing. You, know, you took over. We've got 1.5 million person army. Things have gone pretty good under your leadership. You see, counting the people to find out how great you've become, in fact, became an exercise in finding out how much God has blessed you. How he blessed you when you were humble and when you were dependent on him, not on your numbers. Where did the sin come in in the census? Well, it's real simple. It's the word self-reliance. It's self-reliance. That's the sin. It's when you take the blessings of God and use them for self-glory. Did you hear me? When you take the blessings of God and use them for self-glory, that's sin. Yeah, you've got some numbers. It would have been really neat. You take the census, everybody pays their shekel or half shekel. You get a new carpet in the temple. That's funny right there. And you can sit there and say, we're going to have a seven-day worship festival where we give glory to God for what he's done for us. Instead of getting a new paragraph in your bio, as king over Israel, David led the nation to uh, develop a 1.5 plus million person army. Revenue rose. Do you, do you see? The sin taking the blessings of God and using them for self-glory and as a means of independence from God. Because now what are you doing? You're using the numbers to make the decision, do I go into battle or do I not? Instead of using God's direction 
to tell you I go into battle or I don't. Do you see the transition here? It's funny. We find out how God's blessed us and we use God's blessings against him to become independent and self-reliant. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? Well, here, let's give a heavenly view of the sequence of events. Because there's two different accounts in the scripture that paint two different pictures that are really the same. Chris read 1 Chronicles 21. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people. It's in the Bible. Do you believe it's true? Do you think the adversary, Satan, the pride whisperer, now you got the title of the sermon in there, whispered to David, you ought to see what the country has become under your leadership. Do you think that happened? Of course it did. But if we go to 2 Samuel 24, it says, once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go count the people of Israel, the Lord told him. Well, you say, well, who was it? Was it the Lord or was it Satan who did it? Well, the answer is both. The answer is both. Even at this time, it all began with God, and Satan is unwittingly God's accomplice. Did you hear me? This reminds us that even today God is over Satan and can use Satan for God's purpose. Well, what's today really about? This is why Chris didn't want to preach this, because there's basically three truths about pride. Pride. God hates pride. It's a sin. Proverbs 6 says, There are seven things that the Lord hates and cannot tolerate a proud look. <laughs> Where's it start? Proud look. A lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind that thinks up wicked plans, feet that hurry off to do evil, a witness who tells one lie after another, and someone who stirs up trouble among friends. God hates pride. God resists the proud, the scripture says. God resists the proud. And the word resist there in the scripture means to strongly oppose, or if you look at the original language, it means to set in battle formation against. Would you want to take an action and step forward if you realized, if you could see with your spiritual eyes that God himself and his army are in battle formation opposing your action? Would you still want to take it on? God loves us so much, but he hates pride because it takes our eyes off of him and puts them on us because, you know, we're so reliable. 
because he loves us, he is committed to make sure that we don't succeed unless we're walking in humble dependence upon him. It's interesting, you go back to the story that he read about David, and David says, I'm going to trust the mercy of God. Remember, it was three years, three months, three days. He didn't say, I'll take the three. What he said was, the one that comes directly from the hand of God, I'll take that because I believe God is merciful. And if you go on and read the scripture, it says, the Lord relented and told the angel that was attacking Jerusalem, that's enough, I can't take it anymore. God is committed to making sure we don't succeed unless we walk in humble dependence upon him. Satan's open door into our life is pride. God had observed the pride in David's heart. He withdrew his blessing and he started working against David, listen to this, in a loving way. Why? To get his heart to turn back. Satan's open door into our lives is pride. God judged the object of his pride. He always does. And idols in our lives are his enemies. He's a jealous God. Here's one thing that you need to understand. When God lifted his protection, Satan knew it. I knew this wasn't going to be an amen Sunday. When God lifted his protection, Satan knew it. <laughs> if you know the gates are open and the walls are broken down, are you going to stay outside? Not when your goal is to take over. Like a prowling lion hunkered down until it's time to strike, Satan waits patiently for us to open the door for him. Pride is the doorway of all sin. There's a double curse to pride. We read it there in 1 Chronicles 21. It's number one, or the first thing is God opposes us. And he lifts or withdraws. You can put either word you want in the fill in there. He lifts or withdraws his protection. But the other side, the, double, the second curse of pride is Satan attacks knowing we have no protection. So God withdraws the protection. Satan knows we're vulnerable, so he comes on in. It's like a sign that says, open for business. James 4 says, but the grace that God gives is even stronger. As the scripture said, God resists or opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So then submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he'll run away from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Be sorrowful, cry and weep. Change your laughter into crying, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In other words, turn from pride, which is humility, and instead of being pushed down by the adversary, God will lift you up. And his protection will be restored. Now, you see this happening. We didn't read the whole passage of Scripture because we'd have been here way too long. But if we'd have read further in 1 Chronicles 21, you would have found that David repented. And God relented. He 
You see, there's a double blessing of humility. Just like there's a double curse of pride, there's a double blessing of humility. Number one, God blesses. God protects. God exalts us. And as importantly for me, Satan's door of opportunity is shut. Satan's door of opportunity is shut. David and the whisper of pride. What do we know about pride? Number one, pride's whisper destroy, distorts the truth. Pride's whisper distorts the truth. What did it do? It gave glory to David and not to God. God had given David everything by grace. Our theme in three Sundays. But who was the source of the whisper? Satan himself. Satan is the whisperer of pride. You see, what do we know about Satan? Well, we know he's Lucifer. We know that he was one of the archangels. He's one of the big three in, in God's hierarchy. We know he was the worship leader. The, all the instruments and the sound and the worship was funneled through him to God. And one day he said, I'd sure like that to be about me. And in Isaiah 14, he issued the five eyes. I will do this, I will do that, I will do this, and you will exalt me. I, I, I. What is all of that? I. Pride. It's right in the middle of pride. P-R-I-D-E. Just like S-I-N. You see, how did Satan get beautiful? God made him that way. How did he become gifted? God made him that way. How did he rise to prominence, or how was he in a position of prominence in this eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God? Because God put him there. God created him and blessed him. But Satan turned against the God who had blessed him. Let me read a little bit of scripture here in Ezekiel 28. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Red carnelian, blue-green peridot, white moonsite, blue-green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis, turquoise, emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. He had been to the Shane Company. Because he had a friend in the diamond business and in the onyx business and the jasper business. They were all given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You got to roam around close to God himself. And it was all a gift. It was all a gift. It goes on to say, verse 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned, so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. 
Your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. You were proud for something that you had nothing to do with. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor, so I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Listen to this. Pride's whisper always prompts us to turn God's gifts against him. The very things that we have been given by God, whether it's natural abilities, giftings, finances, resources, whatever it might be, all of those things come to us by the hand of God. But it's real easy somewhere down the line to have someone come up and whisper into your ear, wow, you've done really well. Look at your bank account or look at your retirement account or, or, or look at what you own or look at how your family's turned out or what, whatever it might be. What got you there? God's grace. God's provision. God's protection. God's hand extended over your life. God got you there. If you're going to take inventory, do it in a way to give glory and honor to God. But the adversary will whisper into your shoulder and say, you ought to be proud of what you've done. Pride's whisper prompts us to turn God's gifts against him. You see, God created Satan incredibly beautiful and incredibly blessed. But he became proud and turned against God who had blessed him. Satan tempted Adam and Eve. They did the same thing. He tempted Cain. He did the same thing. He tempted David. He did the same thing. He is tempting all of us today to do the same thing. Look, take count. Look at what you've done with yourself. He's tempting us to look at what God has given us and turn it against God. And take credit for the things that are God-given. What are those things? It could be our physical skills, our attractiveness, our <laughs> that was funny. I got one laugh. Financial blessing, the hair, uh, gifts, talents, abilities, spiritual gifts, success, influence, power—all of those things that we have in our lives because God was faithful. Well, let's look at pride's outcome. We'll continue the reading that Chris started in verse 15. God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. Which, by the way, is his city. But just as the angel was preparing to destroy it, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that's enough. Remember what David did? I have sinned, I'm wrong. I'm going to put myself in the response that puts me into the hand of the mercy of God, which was the three days. And do you see how his heart of repentance, God is faithful to his nature. What happened right there? He said, I'm going to trust the God of mercy. God sent an angel to destroy. But just as the angel was preparing to destroy, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that's enough. 
David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with the sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So David and the leaders of Israel put on burlap to show their deep distress and fell face down on the ground. And David said to God, I'm the one who called for the census. I am the one who sinned and done wrong. But these people are innocent as sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your anger fall against me and my family. But don't destroy your people. What did he do? He owned it. He took accountability. I want to tell you, friends, even though I'm doing a five-week series on grace coming up the end of the month and through December, grace does not mean we absolve ourselves from being accountable for our actions. Here's what happens. The outcome of pride, number one, is we're separated from God's blessing. We're separated from God's blessing. We experience pain. We experience loss. We experience destruction. But restoration, here's the good news, can be experienced through repentance. David repented, and guess what? He died in good standing with God. Now, I suppose if we would take a little internal census here today and ask ourselves without raising hands, please do not. At home you can, your family needs to know. But if we were to raise our hands, have we ever heard pride's whisper? Have we ever acted on the whisper? Have we ever suffered consequences? Here's some lessons learned from David's final chapter. No one is immune from Satan's use of pride's whisper. No one. If you think, well, Satan can't whisper to me with pride, <laughs> there was the whisper. <laughs> no one's immune. The second thing is, no one is immune from God's judgment. And no one's immune from his loving discipline when we walk in pride and independence. It's going to happen. Earlier in this teaching, we talked about the fact that pride brings a double judgment. Removing God's protection, exposing us to the adversary. But we also talked about humility brings a double blessing. God restores his protection. And guess what happens? Satan no longer has access. God forgives and he restores his blessing if we repent, resist the devil, and humble ourselves before God who has given us every blessing in our lives. This isn't in my notes. I shared it with Jill in the car. She gave an amen to it, so I'm going to share it. Ran it by the teaching committee. One of the signs of pride is the inability to listen to, accept, and act on good counsel. I know why I have trouble in this area. I'm an only child, and I can remember even as a young person saying, no one is going to tell me what to do. 
and I have paid for that, and my family has paid for that, and the churches that I have pastored at times have paid for that, the ministries I've led have paid for that. I'm not proud <laughs> of that track record. When God puts people in your lives that give you godly counsel, listen, but don't just listen and nod your head. Act on it. It's okay to not know it all. David's chief of staff said, why do you want to do this? This isn't going to be good. But you notice that he submitted to authority. So David said, I want it. Okay. <laughs> but you've been warned. God warns us through his word. He warns us by his spirit. But sometimes he puts people in our lives that warn us. We've been warned, friends. And we've had friends that warn us. I can look back in my life and I can think of times and I could tell stories today, but I want pizza. I can tell you stories that God put someone in my life to say, you don't want to go down that road. And it was very hard to, with humility, say, yeah, you know, you're right. But I have a council in this church that can testify how I lead. We go in to make decisions, and it's never Mark says. We don't even vote. Why? Because we trust God to give us the mind of Christ, led by the Spirit of God, so that, you know what, if we're all listening to the Spirit of God, He's going to say the same thing to Dale and Chris. He's going to say the same thing to Dan and to Kelly. And many times, I'll just sit there and say, what is God saying to you? I trust their counsel because I trust their love for the church and their heart for God. The best thing I ever did as a leader was adopt that principle. I'm not going to make decisions alone. In fact, sometimes I'm not even going to care what the decision is as long as everybody is in agreement that that's what God wants us to do. I hope you'll hear what I'm saying today. God puts people in our lives. We may not like them. And I grew up, I'm a 60s and 70s kid, and I'm a, a baby boomer, and I... I hate authority, and I hate top-down organizational military leadership. First of all, I don't think it's a wise leadership model, number one, because you don't listen to all the people around you that know some things that might help you. I don't like it. But I know this, that God puts me in places to be submitted to authority. And when they ask me, what do you think? I'll tell them. I can remember in one instance, I was asked, I said, here's what I see. If we continue down this road, it's like what happened to my cousin. He was driving down a road and 
a huge storm up the hill hit, and a flash flood came down, and as he was driving across a road with a culvert, it washed out, and he went into the water. I said, that's what's going to happen to this organization if you continue down this road. The sad thing was, is there was someone on the other side of that that saw this happen, and he ran out, and he was standing in this rainy street yelling to people, stop, don't continue, you're going to go off into the ravine, and people didn't listen. God puts people in your life. Where did I get onto this? Dear Lord, help me. That's saying the road is out. The bridge is gone. Don't drown. Stop here. Here's God's dilemma. I'm gonna, now I'm, I was meddling, so now we'll get back to preaching. God has a dilemma. He's a good God, and he wants to bless us, but he can't bless pride. Here's the danger. The more he blesses us, the more we tend to become prideful and we use it against him. The vast majority of people on earth today have taken their God-given life, talents, abilities, and skills and turned it against God. <laughs> Sometimes you might ask this question, who can God bless and it not become a curse? God is looking for people who will take his blessings and use them for his glory, but never turn them against God. As we conclude this series, we've been talking about truths of greatness. Here's the final one. People become great as they humble themselves before God, relying on God to exalt them. People become great when they humble themselves before God, relying on God to exalt them. It's, it's a principle. In God's kingdom, if you work your way down, you're lifted up. What did he say? The greatest would be the least and servant of all. We live in a world that's a leadership principle is a pyramid which you work your way to the top. In God's kingdom, you work your way to the bottom because the pyramid is upside down. And the farther you are down, think what happens if I'm in an inverted triangle and I'm way down here and the Bible says, you've been humble, I'm going to exalt you. What happens to everyone that depends upon my leadership? Because they're on my shoulders. They get lifted up too. David listened to the whisper of pride. It cost him. It cost his nation. But he repented. He took accountability. And God restored, forgave, and blessed. And at the end of his life, he didn't die with regrets. And he didn't hand a kingdom to his son that was in disarray. We all suffer from pride's whisper. 
we've all listened and said yes. We've all believed it, thinking the whisper was our idea. If we'll own it, if we'll repent, God will restore. David was a shepherd boy, not even considered a son by his own family. And through humility, God raised him up, exalted him, put him in a position as a king, not to exalt David, but to bless the people of Israel. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. He will exalt you, and he will lift you up to bless those around you. Never use his blessings against him. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are a gracious God even when we respond to the whisper of pride and that you will quickly turn your heart towards us as we repent, as we confess, as we take accountability, um, accept accountability for our actions, for listening to the whisper of pride. Lord, your spirit is in us. We ask your spirit to quicken us when those whispers come, that we might immediately respond in humility, sensing then your grace and give glory and honor to your name for all you've done in us, for us, and through us. Amen. 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 All right. Pastor Chris is going to be sharing the next couple of weeks. You saw the tease up there on the screen about something. And I wish I could remember what it was. I'm teasing. Then um, we have about a five-week series on grace that one of the greatest gifts of grace is Jesus, so we'll get us through the Christmas season. Looking forward to that. So God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you his peace. May he send his spirit to speak to your heart, to warn you of the whisper of pride that you might walk in his forgiveness and grace. May you experience his blessing and use his blessing to minister and to touch the lives of others. And in so, be lifted up and lift up those around you. May it be so, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great, great week.